0: Good morning, Great Oaks. How are we doing on Resurrection Sunday? All right. I'm Pastor Chase. Uh, I'm going to let you know right now, and as it says, I'm the Connections Pastor. And if you're a visitor, you may be like, whoa, the Connections Pastor is preaching on Easter. Let's uh, catch you guys all up in the room if you're new here. We will let you know right now we currently don't have a lead pastor, so somehow I drew the short stick. All right. Online, welcome. I'm excited to continue our road series, and this series could only go one direction for today, and that is the road to the tomb. Because yes, we have salvation through the cross, but we got hope because of the tomb. Amen? All right, you know what? Let's go ahead and pray for my soul as we do the message this morning, so bow with me. Father, God, we're just so glad we could be in the room this morning on Easter Sunday. As we talk about the resurrected Jesus, your son that you sent for us, God, may the Holy Spirit move. Because we were told from Jesus from day one that he is sending something greater, which is your spirit that we have, if we call ourselves yours. Call upon the Spirit to move this morning as we talk about the message. Maybe your words and not mine, as we dive into the word. Praise on your name. Amen. As we start off this morning, we're going to be in John's account. All right, there's four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is a little bit different than the other three, but we're going to be in his account of the resurrection this morning. So that's John chapter 20. If you have your Bible flipped there, if not, don't worry. Scripture will be on the screen. You can also go to version. Here we go. So John chapter 20, starting in verse 1, says this, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. While it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So to catch everybody up, as Pastor Nate talked about on Friday night, as our Good Friday service, Jesus goes to the cross. We know he has perished because they stuck a spear pretty much into his rib cage, into his heart, breaking the pericardial sac, so we know he's dead. And then all of a sudden, a wealthier person that's even part of the Saint Peter says, hey, he can have my family's tomb. Has it been used? So Joseph and Arimathea, they take him and they put him in that tomb, wrap him up, cover him in 75 pounds of ointment. Seventy-five pounds of ointment. The tomb they would have put him in kind of looks like this one behind me. So go ahead and throw up a tomb for me. Yeah. So this is not the exact tomb that Jesus was in, but this is one they had found, that archaeologists have found. And there's a big roll-away stone there. And there would be like six shelves cut inside this kind of sandstone rock inside. You'd have to duck to get in. They'd lay his body on one of those shelves. And the reason they covered him with 75 pounds of ointment and would take in other herbs and spices was because as the body decays, it smells. And then a year later in their culture, the family would then go in and take his bones and put them in an ossuary or a bone box. That's what they did in Jewish culture. A year after death, the mourning period is over, the family went back in, and they took the bones, put them in the box, So that means family members had used the same burial shelves as their great-grandfathers, their great-grandmothers, and they always used that same tomb. So that's what happened. So what we have right now in John 20 is they have taken Jesus, they've wrapped him, they've covered him, and they've put him in the tomb. And now Mary here on the first day of the week, she goes and she comes to the tomb while it was still dark and salt, the stone had been rolled away. Let me give you a couple other insights here about this tomb. Jesus was seen as this just rebel to the Jewish leaders of the time. They wanted nothing more of his teachings. So therefore they asked Pilate, hey, put a Roman guard there. Put your seal on the tomb so no one would touch it. And they did. And so here's what we have in John 20 starting in verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Verse 4, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. Let me stop there. I think it's funny that the gospel writer, who is the other disciple, says he outran the other guy. I would do the same. All right? (laughs) And he reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up, placed by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, I love that he mentions it again, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now. I want to go a little scholarly here for a second because people will read this account and have for centuries and say, okay, this really didn't happen. Dead people don't come back to life. Even as much as our culture would love that to be so we could have zombies walking around, all right? But they just don't come back to life. And then all of a sudden we look at these theories that these scholars have put forward. Okay, come on. It was the wrong tomb. The ladies didn't know where they're going. Ladies aren't good with directions. They walked the wrong way. I'm serious. That's a legit theory. That's a legit theory. Uh, My response to that is, are you kidding me? A woman who loved Jesus because of how much he had redeemed her, and then also his own mother forgot the tomb they put him in? Let's be real. Another theory is called what we call the swoon theory, is that Jesus wasn't actually dead But the coolness of the tomb rejuvenated his body and brought him back to life. Well, thank God we have the gospel writer of Luke who talks about that spear going up through his chest and talks about that liquid flowing up that's like water. Because if you don't know this, the gospel writer Luke was a physician in the first century, so we know the guy was dead. Another theory. Well, people went, they must have stolen the body. Okay. This one might have the most merit. But let me stop and say this. They stopped and folded the head cloth along the way. Let me put it this way. They picked up a decaying body covered in 75 pounds of ointment and just carried that thing out. Who signed up for that? Who wanted to mess with the Roman guard? They know if they go there, they're going to get slaughtered. Another theory, the last one we're going to talk about, is, all right, you know what? This is where some psychologists have tried to explain away People just had the same mass hallucination. Well, luckily, I took Psychology 101, and I know that's pretty much impossible. You can't get 500 minds to have the exact same hallucination no matter what they're on. And that's another theory that people use. Ah, he couldn't have been resurrected. I would tell you this it takes more faith to believe any of those ignorant theories than it does to know and believe and have faith that Jesus did rise from the dead that was prophesied about hundreds of years before. The church, what we gotta understand is this. When we start debating this, this, these theories and talking about the resurrection, as we've come to know Jesus, and if you call yourself a believer, this is one of those absolute truths. He did rise from the dead. Because let me tell you something. If we start to say he didn't, hear me. The cross means nothing. If he didn't rise from the dead, the cross does not give grace. It means absolutely nothing. The tomb, the resurrection is the climax of Jesus' ministry. Because the tomb is what brings the hope. What I'm saying is this Jesus just didn't go to the grave, he went through the grave. What does that mean for you and I? The best way I can describe what that means for us is somebody else's account that we have right here in John 20. Verse 11 But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they laid him. So stopping there, she's still convinced somebody's taken Jesus, probably the Romans, don't know where he's at. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Let me give you some background on this Mary Magdalene. Guys, this is the Mary that was of not a great reputation. Caught up in some bad living. To protect the kids in the room, adults, to be considered a lady of the night. All right? She was possessed by demons. Jesus found her, cast them out. And since that day, she had been with him. Hear me. This is the person that Jesus decides to talk to first, post-resurrection. Hear that. It wasn't one of his disciples. It wasn't his own mother. It was this woman who had been broken that he had found and helped along the way. And because he had done that, she had this just absolute love for him. I think the greatest definition of Easter comes from this story. Because what Easter means to me is that Jesus takes my worst and gives me his best. Because no matter how far she was gone, no matter where she was at in her life, Jesus found her and gave her his best. And what his best was is knowledge of the Father. And knowing that there was a path for salvation that's going to be found through him. It's the same thing he does for us, if we want to take it in. Continuing on with the story, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned to him and said in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. He calls her out by name. And then she realizes who he is. Man, that's awesome. Maybe some of you in this room or online have that story of when Jesus has called you out by name and you've heard his call no matter what way that is done through through the Holy Spirit, through whatever, through prayer, and she recognizes who he is. And at that moment, you can imagine that she tries to cling to him, but he says, don't cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And he's doing this to be, in my opinion, to be gentle by saying, hey, don't get used to me being here. I've already told my disciples I'm sending you something greater. I'm sending you my spirit. Don't get used to me. I get it. You're happy, you're excited, but don't get used to this. Paul writes in Romans 5 this, and I think it's a great comparison. For while we are still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one who will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And why I like this parallel is because this Mary Magdalene, who honestly was completely lost... Who had fallen into sin. Christ had died for her on the cross. And now he's talking to her. Calls her out by name. Shares the message with her first. Do we know that what happened on the Friday night the cross is something that Jesus did for you and I? And here's why. The reason why? Is verse 17, and it's a powerful verse, and we miss it. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Want to point out the first thing. He says this Go to my brothers. This is the first time in Scripture that Jesus calls them my brothers. Not my disciples, not my students. He calls them my brothers, meaning, hey, they are now on my level. Because I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Meaning, I'm giving you the inheritance I have. Even though I am the Son of God... It is no longer just my God, it's your God. It's no longer my Father, my Adonai, it's yours. That's what Jesus did through the tomb. Because no more do you have to go to a priest or a high priest and talk to God. No more do you have to go anywhere for, to find salvation. No more is it, hey, if you drop this much money, you can find God. That crap is over. That's done. Because what Jesus did, what Jesus did in this moment is said, you now have connection to the Father through me. You want to be saved? Talk to him. Take me on. Because I want the yearning you have, and I want to fulfill you. Hebrews chapter 2 puts it this way For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Not ashamed to call them brothers. In the Old Testament, as the Jewish people wondered, and, and as they set up civilizations, their way to God was through an atoning sacrifice. Taking the best, the best lamb they had and slaughtering it, and begging for forgiveness from God. And it just did not work. Because sin kept happening over and over and over again. People would sin. Sin. God would send judgment. They would cry out to God. He would rescue them. And we know from the prophets and from Psalms that God had already been working on this plan that his son had to be the atoning sacrifice. And as Jesus comes, dies on a tree, goes to the tomb, comes back to life, brings us into the inheritance of his family. Church, I I say this to say this point. When Jesus spilled blood on the cross, he took all the sin that we have done and what others have done to us. Now, hear me. That first point we all know. When Jesus spilled blood on the cross, he took all the sin that we have done. I wanted to add that ending line and what others have done to us. Because something that we might need to, to focus on, because maybe I'm going to talk to the Christians in the room for a second. Say, you know what, hey, I've, I've belonged to Jesus for a long time. Let me talk to you for a second. Jesus just didn't die for your sin. He also died for the pain that others have inflicted upon you. And we're called to forgive. For what, what, what did Romans say? What did Paul tell us in Romans? What he said earlier in that Romans 5 passage? For while we're still weak, God died for the, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. That's what the cross does. The cross takes all the sin that we have committed and what others have done to us. It's a hurt pain. Everyone in here has faced something that's just hurt them. I don't know what it is. I don't know what that trauma might be. I don't know if there's an abandonment issue, parent issues, broken relationships. I I don't know. Maybe someone chastised you and judged you too harshly. Maybe as you were trying to find church, the church did a horrible job. Because let me let me hear me this the church sins too. And all that sin is what Jesus took to the cross. Galatians 2.20, for I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is Paul trying to develop his faith. And this is what he gives us in Galatians chapter 2 as he's writing to the church in Galatia. There is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Have any of us gotten there yet? Have any of us gotten there that, hey, it's no longer my life. It's no longer about me. It's all about the Father. It's all about what Jesus has done for me, and I need people to know that. And then all of a sudden, as we start thinking about that question, hey, Am I there yet? Am I that spiritually deep? Do I truly believe in Jesus that much? My favorite lie then comes out. My favorite lie, as a pastor, my favorite lie, when we start talking about salvation and Jesus, my favorite lie is, man, I don't know if I'm good enough. And and church, what I'm telling you is that's what religion says, that you have to be good enough. This isn't about religion. It has nothing to do with religion. Religion. Religion doesn't work because what works is there's a relationship, and a relationship says, "I get to be good enough." That's what Jesus says. Our salvation comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ, and He makes us whole to God. It's not about how many weeks you attend church through the year. Yes, that helps. That's not chasing. Don't come to church. It's not about how involved you are. What's it about is in your heart, have you said, yes, I want to have this relationship with the Son of God. I believe he took all of my sin to the cross. Because that's where salvation comes from, is that commitment you're putting into him. And if you truly have done that, then you say, I get to be good enough. For example, healthy marriages. So maybe you want to look at your spouse for a second. When you get married, I'm going to just hope and assume here, and I might be on dangerous water saying this, you don't stop trying once you get married. I'm hoping that's true for everybody in the room that's married. It's not like, oh, hey, we're married, so I can just let myself go. I don't need to care about you. I don't need to do anything for you. Because if that's the mentality you've gone into with marriage, I'm telling you right now, it's not going to last. Men, if you refuse to never unload the dishwasher, you've got a problem in your marriage. And how does this connect with our relationship with Christ? Same way. Christ says, hey, you belong to me. And we get to have that relationship and that commitment. And because of the yearning we have in that, I want to do good things. Because he loved me first. My obedience doesn't bring me salvation. The salvation that Christ gives me implores me to be obedient. I think a lot of churches could learn that lesson. Has nothing to do about your righteousness to get you salvation. It is about us knowing that, my goodness, God found me lowly and completely alone and in utter chaos. And because he loved me when no one else did, man, I wanna love him. That's why some of my favorite people that are Christians are ones that were, man, completely off in on, on, on left field. Completely out in left field. Stuck in drug addiction. Stuck in some kind of addiction that had them because guess what, when Jesus pulls them, they know how bad it's been. And they're on fire for God. And complacency doesn't work for them. That's how we all should be. Let me put it this way. Let me give you an illustration. Who's ever moved before? Anybody ever moved? All right, so when you move, you got this cool thing called a moving box, or as we call them, Amazon. All right? Uh, usually about 40 of these packages show up at my house every week. Um, okay. That's not me. All right, um, so when we talk about moving, so Megan and I moved a couple years ago, and all of a sudden, when you move, these are everywhere. These are everywhere. Now, luckily for you, if, if you are married to someone who has a little bit of OCD in them, they only last for about two and a half days. Uh, but some of you are like, nope, I have boxes, and we moved 17 years ago, and they're still somewhere. All right, that's okay. But the thing is, is when, when we talk about these boxes— And I want to talk about the box this way. When we talk about the relationship we have with Christ and the fact that he went to the grave for us and through the grave defeated death, here's what we we look at. We say, okay, you know what? We have some pain in our life. We have some pain in our life. We also have some desires. Everybody's got desires. Those are okay. It's okay to have some desires as long as they're not sinful, all right? We also have sins. We all sin." Everyone in here, including this guy on stage, sins, all right? No matter what they are. We have our beliefs. We have what our maybe religion has taught us over the years, or whatever church we were raised in, or if we weren't raised in church, we have those beliefs of how we've seen other Christians live their life. And then lastly, we have our plans. Like, for example, after church today, I'm going to go have myself a nice burger, all right? We have our plans. We have our plans. So we have all these things that make up our life, whatever they are, pain, our beliefs, our sins, our our pain, our plans, all right? And what we do is this. We tell God, hey, these are all the things we have in life. And then we open the box up, and we say, yes, God, I, I believe in Jesus, but here's the catch. What we try to say is, I'll take Jesus, but as long as he doesn't touch any of this, as long as he doesn't touch any of this, because my goodness, if I take on Jesus and he's like, hey, you're not advancing that much in your career that you want to so fastly. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, Jesus. In the box, Jesus. And that's what we do. We say, All right, God, I'll take Jesus, but just we put him in here and we say, All right. Do it. He's in the box. We put him to the side. We have our week. Whatever it is, work, school, home, Sunday morning comes. All right. Come on, Jesus. I'm in church, Jesus. Me and you, Jesus. All right, Jesus, I'm going to lunch. See you later. There's a problem with that. And here's the problem with that. God wants Jesus to be so much more, and Jesus wants to be so much more than just caught up in this box. Here's what I mean by this. Romans 6, uh, verses 1 through 4 says this, what shall we say then, are we to continue to in sin that grace may, may abound? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we, too, might walk in the newness of life. We, too, might walk in the newness of life. So, guys, what I say to you is this. Online, what I say to you is this. If you want to call on Jesus to say, yes, Jesus, I need you to take over my life. I've been caught up in sin, and I, I, I'm tired, and want it, I don't want it anymore. Why would we put him in this? Why would we say, yes, but you have to, dude, don't deal with my sin. It's still too close to me. I still need it. I still have these vices that I have to have. Don't mess with my beliefs. I don't believe you can do that, because I was taught in children's church back when I was seven that that wasn't Jesus. I don't think I can learn anymore, don't touch my pain, don't touch my heartache. And the reason we don't want to touch our pain is because for some reason our pain now identifies who we are. And church what Jesus is saying is, my goodness, let me out of the box because I can help you deal with this. and. A year from now, you can say, I don't have that pain. I want to give you newness of life. When we talk about the resurrection, I think one of the best quotes I have found from A.W. Tozer is this, the purpose of God is not to save us from hell. The purpose of God is to save us, to make us like Christ, and to make us like God. God will never be done with us until the day we see his face. Right there. The resurrection doesn't just give us eternity, it gives us purpose. And I know there's probably a lot of other messages going on this Sunday morning from other places that are saying, hey, belong to Jesus. That way you get eternity with him. But what I'm telling you this morning is this, yes, if you say yes to Jesus, you get eternity. But you know what else you get? Purpose. Because this whole call on Jesus isn't just for 40 years when you pass away or 65 years when you pass away or 105 years when you perish or tomorrow it's for right now what I'm saying church is let Jesus out of this box because he wants you to have this newness I don't know what maybe someone's told you but whether you know it or not Christ doesn't expect you to be in pain and suffer every day of your life. It's okay to say, you know what, God, I want to work on my garbage, I want to work on my trash, I want to work on my pain, I want to change my plans, I want Christ to use this. And the reason why is because I want happiness, I want fulfillment, I want belonging. So I'm letting Christ out of the box because obviously I can't manage my own life. That's what this Sunday's all about. It's about taking all of this, whatever it is, and saying, yes, I'm leaving it at the cross and I know it's gonna be left there because Jesus just didn't stop at the cross. He went to the grave and through the grave so I know I have the hope. And man, I'm excited to live for him in a newness of life. And the reason this excites me is because, church, I have my own sins. I'm excited that God works on my pride. I'm excited that God works on my unhealthy desires. I'm excited that God works on me. And I promise you, he can do the same to you. So this morning you have this opportunity. If you're saying, you know what, man, Chase, I need this. I, I, I need to let go of some pain or desires or sin. I'm not saying right now you got to make a decision for Jesus. But if you're ready to do that, that's awesome. Maybe what you need is just some prayer. Find one of my prayer workers. You're going to have prayer workers that are going to be on one side of this wall. Find them and let them pray for you. If you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time this morning, I'm going to tell you right now, you can do that. At your chair while you worship, but I want to, I want you to hear me. And this might be selfish of me, but come tell me because I want to hear it too because I'm excited for you. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, we're just so glad that we can talk about your son. The fact that we have a hope that's just not an eternity, but a hope that's right now. God, we're excited May we live a life that's called after you. May we live in this newness. May we truly see the victory of the tomb. God, as we sing this last song, may we just worship our hearts so that they pour out to you that we are in awe of you. We're in awe of you, God, that you sent us the most precious thing you have because you loved us first and we worship you in response. Amen.